listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. Vsauce on YouTube. It's a spectacular channel and it'll make you think. And if you're anything like me, you may stumble upon a video that actually changes who you are. I think about the video How Earth Moves every single day without fail. While the entirety of the video is fascinating, it's the last few minutes that I replay in my mind over and over again. Not in an anxious manner, but rather it brings me serenity like nothing else ever has. You see, I don't believe in a heaven of any religion's design. I believe all that we are is encapsulated in this little meat sack, and it's that belief that allows me to truly appreciate every single moment, every single person in the time that we are alive. Carl Sagan wrote of humanity's insignificance when he suggested Voyager 1 turn around and take a picture of Earth from 4 billion miles away. And this sentiment lends itself beautifully to this Vsauce video as well because it speaks to Earth's journey and how we're just along for the ride. It helps put life into perspective in a way that's quite profound, if not a slap to our egos who'd like to believe we're part of some grand design. This mindset then changes how you view your life, your place on this planet. Because quite literally, whether any of us live or die matters not one bit in terms of this blue planet's journey. However, it certainly has an impact upon those with whom we share this journey. This is how I rationalize purpose. It's not about leaving a legacy behind for your family, wealth for anyone I care about, or items for them to sell off once I've passed. Rather, it's about trying my damnness to be a positive force for others. Not because it'll matter later, but because it matters now. Today we lost someone who has improved the lives of countless people for decades. You would have to work really hard to find places on this little blue marble where people have not heard of Spider-Man or any of the other heroes and villains that Stanley created. Through his creations, he taught us morality, strength of character, empathy, and decency. He gave us worlds and universes to explore and quandaries to unravel. At the end of that Vsauce video, the host shows us an illustration of the Earth spinning around the sun as it hurtles towards an unknown destination. And he shows us what would amount to a hundred years, a, a drop in the timeline, yet each of us will exist within one of those segments. I'm glad that Stan was a part of my 100-year chunk. It made this journey magical in ways that will continue to influence who I am as a person moving forward. I learned today that it's a Jewish tradition to say, may their memory be blessed versus rest in peace. Stan was Jewish, and we can all agree that will certainly be the case with his legacy. He brought us immense joy during his life, and the benefit also is that his creations will continue to do so. I said, as I said on Twitter, I'm really hoping that Insomniac Games will add a grave next to Ben's 
so that those of us who need to can swing by from time to time and just chat with Stan about life. So, Joe, I know this hits you hard, too. you have any words that you'd like to share before we move on? Uh, yeah, I got a ton I could share, but I'll keep it short and sweet. I was hit a lot harder than I thought I was going to be, partially because of how much the characters that Stan created fit into a personal story of mine. And I've talked about this on other podcasts. I've talked about this a little bit. The reason I got into comic books was because of my grandfather. When my biological father walked out on me and my family, my grandfather stepped up as the father figure to me. And we were dirt poor, but there was one thing that he could do for me every week. And every week we would go to the comic book stand. We would go to the newsstand and we would get two comic books. And then we would go back to the house and we would sit and he taught me to read. And it stuck with me because the very first comic books he ever bought me, and he made this a point, was Spider-Man. And the reason he did this years later when I was old enough to reason and figure it out is because he saw a connection between me and that character. He saw that I was smart and getting always getting bullied by the other kids and he didn't want me to succumb to sort of that evil. He didn't want me to collapse to sort of despair. And so he used those comic books, that character, to drive home that you don't have to. That it wasn't the spider powers that made Peter Parker a superhero. It was his heart, his brain, his willingness to sacrifice. And that stuck with me. For all of these years. And the one thing I always wanted to do. I never got a chance to do it. And I don't get a chance now. I always wanted to meet Stan Lee. And I know my, my story is probably similar to so many others. Yeah. <laughs> but I always wanted to shake his hand and say thank you. Because that scared little kid on the ghetto side of town growing up. Who was too smart for his own good and getting beat up by every fucking kid who couldn't spell any large words to save their lives because I had the brain. I didn't become worse. I became better because of the characters and the worlds he created and because of the love that was instilled in me early of those worlds by my grandfather. See, you had the, the, the best of both worlds because you had this, again, which we all did, this this not just world, but the universes that he created and this idea of, of tolerance and everything that, that he got because of his background. And then you also had the advantage of having a grandfather. No, you did not have a father, but you had, you still had a, a father figure that was very important in your life and, and that managed to use that as, as a, not as a tool, but in the same way you'd use a textbook in school kind of thing to teach morality, to teach mm -hmm. you how to be a good man. So, yeah, you again, these, oh, are, these are positive <laughs> memories. These are and that's what I keep going back to. And we chatted on this on, on G Talk for a little while. And it's that it's, it's very easy right now to to feel sad about this, because, again, it is. I don't think you can overstate the influence that this man had on everyone like and that's that's saying a lot when you're thinking about the fact that like i said 
you would be hard pressed to find anyone that does not know who Spider-Man is. Forget about, you know, following all the story arcs, understanding all the characters. I'm not just, I'm just knowing who the character is and who, what he stands for. And, and that's profound. And that's one fucking character in a roster that he created all of which to do the same thing, to try to teach acceptance and empathy and and morality and all these things. So it was a good life. He died at 95, having married his sweetheart and spent decades with her. And she passed a few years back, as we recall. But he was fortunate to have literally spent Again, so much time together and then touched so many lives. It was a profound life, a good life. And he and that's what we should be celebrating. I Vince, did you have anything you wanted to say? Well, looking at Stan as a creator, I feel his greatest accomplishment was making the characters relatable to everyday people, like like Joe's story exemplifies. He knew that these extraordinary characters needed that human side to 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 really not just be successful commercially but to be important you know with peter all of his struggles just in his day-to-day life and how being spider-man just made that worse not better or the fantastic four and their internal family dynamics and i mean just the hulk his uh an absolute picture perfect demonstration of that it was always portrayed more as a curse than as a gift and i feel that was very important because it kept things grounded it kept it relatable to the readers and while we could all see okay i don't turn into an eight foot tall green incredibly powerful creature but i can look at what bruce banner is going through and i can relate to that and i can prove my own life in that way and that was such a touchstone of what we recognize as marvel today but more than that i feel that stands obviously like the the creations are what are always gonna be remembered by but for me like stan's true legacy he was out of comics by the time i was reading even as a kid like you know he was tangentially involved in the publishing side but He had become more of a brand ambassador by the time the 80s and 90s rolled around. And the thing that I will always remember Stan for, because I didn't read his writing until I was an adult at that point, was that he always kept comics as an open and inviting place, something he was always excited to be a part of and excited for other people to be a part of as long as they could dream as big as he did. And if just like his characters if you could aspire to be more you always could be and comics would always be there to to welcome you as a family and i i think that's a lasting legacy that is still important today just as much as peter parker or bruce banners or the richard family struggles were it's one of those things where um and this is not to take a dig at dc at all because they've produced very fine work. They've done amazing things as well. It's it 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 is just a fact. Mm-hmm. But the, there's a reason why so many people tend to gravitate more towards Marvel than DC. 
And it's because of the relatability of the characters and the underlying themes therein that touch people on a profound level. And that's something that started with him, you know? That's something that was important to him uh, moving forward. Again, the Fantastic Four is not, uh, 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 regardless of who takes it on, it's not about here's this family with fantastic powers. It's here's this family. They're going through a lot of shit because they're always going through a lot of shit. (laughs) And you're going to be taken along for the ride. And a good writer is going to understand that what's important is family. And that's what you're going to need to to talk about. If you're talking about X-Men, you're going to need to understand that what's important isn't talking about, again, powers. It's about feeling ostracized by society and and bigoted against and and all kinds of other things and about spider-man well we've already clearly talked about that many many times all of these all of these statements are being made again when in the writing is good subtly that's that you you always know this is what it's all about. But we're going to show you some fanfare so that you can keep coming back because it's exciting and fun to read. But the morality behind it is is always present. And I've always felt that that was more present on the Marvel side than the DC side. Again, there's been phenomenal DC stories and, and I love and adore their comics as well. But it, I think you have to admit there has always been that difference in terms of how much more easily you can relate to the characters on the Marvel side. I mean, again, look at the DC side with Superman. Can't relate to that. Batman, can't relate to that. Flash, maybe a little, but not too much. Wonder Woman, again, it's, she's an Amazon. Not, it's, it's, you may as well be a Kryptonian. Whereas the, the X-Men, yeah, they're, they have powers, but they're, they're, they're people, they're humans, you know, and, and things like that. And so I think that, I think that's his legacy moving forward, that he created characters that, like Joe said, that we can really latch onto, see ourselves in. And it's in that reflection that we try to be better people. So in that he succeeded and, and left a legacy that, let's be honest, will never go away. There well, will always be Spider, uh, Spider-Man. There will always be X-Men. There will always be these things moving forward. And, and beyond the characters, and, and that's one thing I want to I say, and this has been something that's been on my mind all day, is regardless of what people think about his business practices or what happened with Marvel and the publishing industry and everything that happened there, when you put that aside, there are a couple things that you really, that, that stand out to me. Uh, one, first of all, I mean, Stanley served in the military during World War II. Like, people forget that. He put his money where his mouth is and went to go serve and go fight against fascism. He, he did his bit. And he also was very, very vocal against things like racism and fascism, not just in the characters he created, but in his editorials. And at a time when yeah. those type of sentiments would get people fired or removed and he didn't care because it needed to be said. And that's, that's the person that I want to remember, right? The characters you created, those are the comforts, 
but everybody who met him, everybody who interacted with him, he just wanted to make people happy. He wanted to see a world where these fantasy worlds that he created, where everybody got together and, and for common causes was a reality where we didn't have to live in fear in in shame and hate that's that's the type of thing i want to remember about him the most and i can only hope that we can somehow somewhere kind of latch onto that idea as a people not just because of him but because of everything else as well and really latch on to that 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 wonderful statement that he always used to make excelsior onwards and upwards together that's what i want and with that we are going to move on to actual games now so this week we actually had the inside xbox event which was which was held in mexico city i i don't know why <laughs> i don't know if there was something going on that that's why it was it was it was set to be there but the one thing about mexico they're not afraid of showing when they're excited about something. And this event showed that in spades, and I fucking loved it. So we're going to run through a lot of what was announced here, although I will say right from the get-go, a lot of this event, the majority of this event, was about promoting the Xbox Game Pass. And I've got to say, as somebody who has now subscribed to it, I subscribed to it, what, three weeks ago or whatever, when um, when Horizon came out, uh, Forza Horizon 4 came out. And since then, there's been a crap load of games added. And that wasn't that fucking long. That was, that's not even a month ago. And there has been more games added since then. Um the U.S. price, if I'm not mistaken, is like $9.99. The American or the Canadian price is either $11.99 or $12.99, and it is quite literally exactly what um, I know. I've mentioned it before, and it's like it's a service that, much like Netflix, I'm all for. Give me a service where I'm paying X amount per month, and I'm getting a crap load of games. And I'm on board. The only problem, of course, is that because there's no, unless it was on Steam, say if Steam did something like this one day, uh, you're 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 kind of limited because of exclusivity with different consoles and such. So you need to find one where you're gonna get a a, a lot of games that you care about as a gamer. So if you're a Nintendo freak, this might not be for you. But for me, who likes gaming, regardless of the platform, it's the game that I care about. I am not canceling this. I am fucking on board and I love it. Like I again, I've literally I I keep installing games and I haven't <laughs> gotten to them all because there's only so much time in a day, but this is phenomenal. And if you're and I'm I'm not clearly I'm not being paid to say this. This is my opinion. Uh and I there's no, you know, affiliate program or link or bullshit kind of thing. But if you're on the fence about this, I would strongly suggest, like, just do the free month. I think it's like a buck a month for the first month right now is whatever. And and just check. I keep going back to the same thing wherein if I had bought Forza Horizon 4, I was looking at 80 bucks Canadian for the stripped-down version, not the, you know, deluxe or anything like that. And that's like five and a half, six months. 
of the Game Pass, by which time I'm likely not to be playing Forza all that much anymore and have moved on to other games. And, oh, look, there's already a fuck ton of other games that have been added. So, and with them acquiring new studios as well, which means that we're going to be getting more of those games added from those studios as well, much like Hellblade that was announced. This is just a service that is fantastic if you have an Xbox One and you would like to not really have to worry about having to pick up a crap load of games. So again, I'm saying that just so that you know going in, I'm already on board for this service, so I'm going to be pretty hyped about some of the announcements that were made of games that are going to be coming out on this. And then there were a few other announcements as well that they made, some of them cool, some of it just the traditional pats on the ass of, hey, look, we're awesome kind of thing. So they started off with Player Unknown Battlegrounds, which I still don't play. I don't know if either of you play it at all. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. So again, Great game. I know a lot of people love it. I'm happy it's coming. We just don't play. So, Void Bastards, however, <laughs> looks oh my goodness, fucking awesome. Inspired by System Shock Two and Bioshock, it's like <laughs> it's got this comic book art style that I adore, and I really like what the game appears to be as well, the story and whatnot. I mean, it's it's this bizarre mixture of you know, System Shock, Bioshock, by way of FTL, Rogue Legacy, yes. and Thomas was alone. Like, <laughs> I, I don't I don't know, or no, not Thomas was alone. What was the, the one where you're in the office building? Whatever. Whatever indie game that was, where you had like the weird passive-aggressive like corporate speak all throughout everything like that tone that they set with those little bits of narration and uh, graphic design to really set in that twisted corporate structure on top of all this bizarre shit is really what took this game to the next level for me. And I like the idea behind it, too. Like, you're leading prisoners of what they call a void arc through a, a nebula. And then you get to decide um, combat skills. You're deciding how to manage your ship. You're dis- deciding on supplies and all kinds of things. There's some crafting in there. It's really quite clever. And it kind of makes me think of, like you said, what if FDL had a, a much deeper story behind it kind of thing and and allowed you to make such decisions that have consequences moving forward too. And I adore the art style. Oh my God, it looks amazing. Yeah, it it it, it piqued my interest simply because it's that over-the-top cel-shaded, like, yeah. but not in the way that Borderlands is. It's the super cel-shaded of, what was it, uh, eight? I think it was on GameCube. Was that the name of the game? The one with, I think it was seven. That it was it something seven? with Roman numerals. Yeah. Yeah. It was a Roman numeral game where you were an assassin and it was just, it was super well done, super comic booky and super cell shaded. This reminds me of that, which I'm perfectly okay with. Uh, honestly, out of all of the games that they announced, this is the one that got me most likely to actually subscribe. 
Yeah, you know what? Out of all of the ones that were, well, with the exception of Mutants Year Zero, which we've talked about, although that's a darling of mine. Um, yeah, it when the the trailer first started and they they said to avoid masters i was like oh what the fuck is this now and then you see the art style and it's to me it doesn't feel like cell shaded so much as like again a very comic bookish which i know is kind of what cell shaded is but it's i don't know it it feels like it takes that to the next level. It's not just cell shaded. It feels like a walking fucking comic book. Mm-hmm. It made me think of again Thief of Thieves, which is another one that I'll get to in a little bit as well, which they talked about. And but this one here, the story was fucking fantastic. So yeah, I can't wait to try that. And then they had a fucking horrible video with Terry Crews, which. He's fucking awesome, but that video was horrible. My God. But they did talk about Crackdown 3, which is coming out February 15th. And, I mean, they've made a lot of changes with the game since it was originally announced. And I'm not necessarily sure that all of them are great changes. But I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt until I try it. I do love that as they make a point of saying how everything is destructible. But I'm hoping that's not going to come at the cost of of story, character development, and all that shit kind of thing. Um, but in terms of an environment that you can go into that is entirely destructible, I think of it in my head like, okay, if I learn to really love the maps, if I learn to really love the environment, then this could be pretty cool. It'd be kind of like playing Overwatch, but Route 66 is completely destructible. And and as soon as you kind of compare to a game of uh, a shooter game that you really love and say, what if? And then you're like, oh, that could really work. So because, again, I, I subscribe to the, the Game Pass, I'll get to try this as soon as it comes out. So I'll, I'll let you guys know if you're not subscribed at the time. But I'm hoping that if it has that same flair, that it really has that same appeal that Overwatch does and, and other games of the, 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 the kind, then maybe it'll be something that, yeah, com- collapsible environments are are something that really do add that much to the game. We'll see. Because the first crackdown was just so much fun, and then like yeah. the second one became kind of a slog. So if they can recapture what made the games like the reason that people are excited for this, it, then yeah, I am I convinced they will. Mm. Marketing isn't doing yeah. a very good job of that right now, but I hope yeah. so. Yeah, and I'm in the same I'm in the same boat, and I and I share the same concern that Roger that you voiced. It's the everything I've seen, every bit of marketing is about how much destruction, 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 destruction. And I am a little bit worried that that's just going to be the yeah. only thing that it has. And legitimately, I'll go play Minecraft if I want to just destroy everything in fucking sight. Like, well, again, I, I, I can see the appeal of it. It's just that I I worry that that's where too much of the money went and. I mean, we literally won't know until we 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 try it. So we'll we'll see when it comes out. It I mean, it, it looks good. The good thing that you're saying with Game Pass is it's not going to cost you anything. Exactly, to find out. exactly. And I love that. I I'm all on board for that. So moving on, they they showed a trailer for NBA 2K Playgrounds 2, which if you're a fan of those games, you'll love it. It look fun, but I haven't played an NBA game. Wow. 
in a long I think, I think fucking the last time. Might have had Larry Bird in it. <laughs> yeah, we're talking decades. Literally, it's been a long fucking. I think the last NBA game I played was on our PS2 with my my eldest son at the time. So <laughs> it's been a minute. They also talked about Battlefield Five, which again, justifiably, looks awesome. I I haven't played a Battlefield game now. Wow. Three generations, maybe. It's been a bit. It's been a bit since the last one. It was good, but there really hasn't been much point to, to return to it. So I if this shows up on the game pass, so I'll definitely play the fucking campaign. I would love to play the campaign for this. See, the thing with Battlefield 5 is they're trying to keep the game relevant for a longer period of time. And they've detailed their roadmap for various updates coming well into the spring. And people are looking at it and going, that's great, but a lot of this stuff should be in the game when it launches. Like, like they're they're much, well, I mean, their big battle royale mode, whatever they're calling it, isn't going to be in the game until I think March. And it, it, and they made a big deal out of that too, like a huge deal. It's it's a lot like when Street Fighter V launched and like it launched, but half the game wasn't there yet. Yes, it all got added over time for free, but it still left a very sour taste in a lot of people's mouths that almost three years. Well, no, I, I mean, God, when did Street Fighter V come out? Three, four years later, people are still pissed off about the state that game launched in. So I get what they're going for. As far as once people get tired of playing Black Ops 4, hey, Battlefield's ready to launch their next big update, but I don't know if it's going to pay off for them in the short term. And we know how a lot of these publishers can get when they don't meet sales demands in that first month. Yeah, they were just talking about that with Bungie literally today with Activision's, um, uh, what is it? Was it a quarterly report or whatever? where they were talking about yeah. how dif- disappointed they were with the latest expansion, and Bungie is like, but we're not. <laughs> EA might be, but we're not, or Activision. So don't worry, guys. And I was like, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> like, people need to understand, yeah, it's all right to hear that and for the, 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 the developers to be like, but don't worry, we're on your side, the players, and we're going to keep pushing for you. But the purse strings have a lot more say. So this is one of those same kind of situations where we'll have to see once the game comes out how much the purse strings are dictating content. Mm-hmm. Okay, moving on, we did, like I said, find out that Hellblade is now coming to um, Game Pass as well, which is not surprising seeing as they picked up Ninja Theory. So it was basically only a matter of time. I'm thrilled about this because I've been waiting to play this game, and it's one of those games where... Unlike a lot of other games where I keep telling myself, you really should play this game, like whether you bought it or not or whatever. This is one of those where I keep telling myself, you have to play this fucking game. It's not a matter of, oh, it was a good game or whatever. No, this is fucking important. So I'm really glad it's being brought so that a number of people can actually play it. And I definitely will be playing it as soon as it it, it launches on the Game Pass. I'm I'm really excited that it's sitting there because... I played through this game, and I think I'm the only one of the crew that did. I don't, Vince, you didn't, did you? It's in the backlog, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in in I had and, a and, bunch by, of... and that's not to take anything away from the game itself. No, no, no. I totally understand. 
uh, this is one of those games that I had a lot of heated debates about, not because of like the subject matter, but because it, it's it's a game that sometimes is too clever for its own good. Um, but it's powerful, like super powerful. Explain what you mean. So, okay, without spoiling anything, of course, this is not this is not a spoiler. So one of the one of the things that. Uh, they showed up in the trailer when the game first came out and or before it even came out was that there's environmental puzzles, right? Where you have to spin the camera in certain ways to sort of understand things and get things to show up. And a lot of people complained that those puzzles were sometimes too hard because they were so abstract and didn't make sense to them. But that's the point. Yeah. And, and, and like the, the amount of people that failed to comprehend that, like that's what I used to argue with them about is like, it's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to make perfect sense to you. It's supposed to make you look at this and go, oh, fuck. Okay. Well, I, not I, just I, that, I but understand I, it a little bit. I always got the impression that it it's meant to give you a glimpse of what it is to live in this mind. You're not you're not gonna get the the mm-hmm. full feeling. You're not gonna completely understand. But, but here's an idea. a glimpse, and it's not supposed to make sense. It's supposed to be disjointed. It's supposed to be difficult. And that, again, that's what, ironically, I'm looking forward to because I need to see how they handle this. And and so again, I I'm very much looking forward to it. And I'm. I'm glad that you have talked about it over the years because it has been enough for me to then say, okay, I, I know they handled it well. So now it's not that I am nervous going in. I'm actually looking forward to going in. And and, and here's what sold it for me as if for anybody that's listening that hasn't played it and are looking for one last thing, a very dear friend of mine uh, suffers from a number of uh, mental complications. And when her and I were talking about this game, she played it and she was damn near in tears with like, I can, I can tell people to play this and they can start to understand a little bit. And, you know, it it tied her explanation for what she goes through daily in with something she loves, which is video games in a way that was very profound for her. And that right there told me that this is something, all right, moving on from there, they did talk about Kingdom Hearts 3 as well. This was a lot of the announcement that with the Winnie the Pooh stuff that's being introduced. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. And again, I've, I've said this over the years now. I've never played the Kingdom Hearts game. I've watched my son play a number of them, but I've never played them. Joe, I know that you like them. Tart loves them. Um, yeah, yeah, she does. It's funny because... The more I've been watching the trailers for this one, and I don't know if it's because it's this game or it's because I'm at that point in my life where I'm like, yeah, I really would like to play this now or I don't I don't know. But every new announcement that they're making and every trailer like this where you're seeing all of the Disney and Pixar characters that you care about, but a continuation of the story is like, yeah, I actually, I I might be, this might be the one that I play. Like when they're showing the Big Hero 6 stuff, I'm like, I really want to do that because I really want to see 
anything more with Big Hero 6 stuff. And and it was the same with some of the other uh, uh, IPs as well. So, yeah, this might be the Kingdom Hearts that I actually play as well. And, and, and that's something that Tart and I were actually talking about um, this game in particular a few weeks ago, is that this seems to be one of the more forgiving titles as far as getting people into it. Because as much as I love Kingdom Hearts, and I do, there's always been this problem of where do players start? What's the order to play through? Holy shit, what is going on yeah, with this yeah, timeline? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Whereas this game is set up in such a way that you can literally ignore everything that came beforehand and just dive in. And, and that can't be oh, overstated. That cannot... Sorry to cut you off, but as somebody no, who no, hasn't played ahead. any of them, that is fucking daunting. Because <laughs> as somebody who has never played the game, if you're speaking to somebody who's played most of them, or even in some cases all, and you're asking, okay, where do I start? And they pause. <laughs> if the person who has played the games cannot figure out the order in which you should play them or in the order in which it makes the most sense to you, that's a little telling. And so this being a good kind of jumping on point, yeah, this, like I said, this might be the one that I jump in. Well, when you consider that some of the previous games had secret episodes and secret endings and weird little tangent yeah no fuck, fuck that like this is good like i want games that have like extensive series like this to take a lesson here and make their games more accessible because i'm actually really excited for the potential of you playing this roger because i i i would love to talk with you about how you feel about this game after you've played well, we, uh, I've never hidden the fact that like we're huge Disney and Pixar fans. And it's like, it's one of those things where it's not because also I, I grew up watching the Sunday, you know, Disney show kind of thing. Um, but more so with me because of all the time that we spent with the kids watching it. So the IPs kind of have a different feel for me. They, they, it's it's very much that nostalgia of spending time with the kids back when we lived up north, you know, downstairs on the couch watching these shows. And so the idea of the stories progressing from there and 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 using characters that from the Final Fantasy universe, which while I'm not an expert on that universe, I know enough of about them to be able to kind of roll with it and the majority of the stuff that I've seen in the trailers is very much about moving the, and I could be wrong, but it's very much feels like moving the Disney and Pixar stories forward, less so than the Final Fantasy stories. It almost feels like the Final Fantasy stories are just there to help move along the other stories. Correct me if I'm wrong. From what I've seen, most of the the Final Fantasy tie-ins are largely absent from the latest Kingdom Hearts games. There's the their own Kingdom Hearts like brand storytelling with, I don't know, the weird people with the funky hair. But <laughs> even a, that, from, isn't that from, all of them? <laughs> from from what I've seen, you're not entirely wrong that that appears to be more of like a supporting story than anything else. It, it really is, and like I think it's been sort of relegated only to. Uh, basically the Tribunal of Heartless or whatever the fuck they call it now. I don't remember. It's got a different name than what I'm used the to. Organization Yeah, 13? like or Organization 13, yeah. How do I know that? Uh, I'm going to guess Allie. Anyway. Uh, 
No, I'm serious. Like that's about it because that is comprised of those folks. Like it, it, that's where it it comes in and that's where it leaves basically. And that's fine. Yeah. See, it needs to be. It's, it's again, I could be wrong because again, I haven't played them. I'm going by what I've seen here. And and obviously this one hasn't come out yet. So clearly I haven't played it, but it, and this is not to, to try to be, um, snobby towards anybody who's played and loved the other ones. But the impression I always had with the other ones was that it was geared more towards kids that had enjoyed Disney and and, and Pixar and, and wanted to play as the characters kind of thing. It was the game that you bought your kids. And I don't know if it's just that it's better marketing now or that it's been around long enough that we are that we and by we I mean people like me who disregarded it and and that's wrong we just by 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 at face value of oh this is going to just be a game for the kids kind of thing and now watching the trailers and seeing how impactful they actually are and how well constructed the stories appear to be where now I'm going holy shit this actually looks f- profound like this looks really fantastic and now i'm like okay no i i want to play this and it's funny because again i keep going back to the same idea where uh like karen and i have always watched cartoons with the kids and not because we you know being good parents and want to make sure the kids aren't watching tentacle porn but also because they're good stories and we wanted to to take part in it maybe the person i am today but the tentacle porn (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the um the so games many questions. the games were never at that level that they offered the same amount of enjoyment for parents as it did for the the kids and i feel that we're finally at that point where a parent can play or in my case a fucking grandparent can play this and when you get to the Winnie the Pooh parts, you're not like, oh, this is for kids. You're like, oh, that's really well written. That's really fucking excellent kind of thing. And I, I dig that. Like, I that's why I'm on board with this game. They've they've done a lot to sort of adult it up, and I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They also talked about Sea of Thieves because they are bringing they're they're really pushing that title as well. And it is, of course, one of the ones that's free on the the Game Pass, although. Because I played it in in beta and I really was not thrilled with it, I actually haven't bothered to install it. So maybe once this comes out, maybe I will. But there were too many things about it that I was not crazy about in beta, which is why I didn't pick it out when it came out and I haven't really bothered. So I don't know if it's still a title that either of you are still kind of interested in or if you would install it if if you got the game pass or, or what. I've watched two YouTube videos and I feel I've seen everything the game has to offer. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Which is too bad. I mean, we yeah. we were on board. They they promoted it really well. And it was like, oh, this will be awesome. And then I played it and went, okay, this is A, nauseating, and B, there's fuck all to do at points, and C, it's confusing as fuck. You don't know what the hell you're doing. And there were too many things. I, like, I... Again, because the Game Pass, it's part of the Game Pass and it's free, I should just install it and give it a whirl and see if it's gotten better and if it is something that is fun now. And that's that's what Game Pass is for, right? Yeah, exactly. They also talked about Jump Force. I I didn't care all that much. I don't know if you guys do. No. Not really? Like, 
it's it's smash but not smash and that's the problem like i mean it's not a game that i would have cared about even as the resident fighting game slash anime fan i'm not terribly hyped for this only because it feels a lot like the uh ninja storm and tenkaichi games that i just didn't i didn't feel that the gameplay was very interesting to me so even though it has a bunch of cool characters to recognize it's probably not something i'll gonna check out they also talked about state of decay 2 which is still going strong that is another one that is offered in the um, the game pass i Actually, I was going to install it, but then I thought, you know what? I actually, I'm going to finish a couple of the single-player RPGs um, just to get them done, and then maybe I'll do that. Because I, I have a feeling that's something that I could kind of latch on and, and, and play for, for quite a while. It's it's doing well. They're introducing a bunch of new stuff to it all the time. Again, it looks like a damn good game. I'll get to it eventually. I've been playing the crap out of fucking Doom. Dude, I oh, dude, that game is so good. Oh my god! Again, like fucking told you, it's it's one of those games where again, yes, you did, and everybody did as well. It was, it was on a, I hate to break it to you, but you weren't the outlier no, that went. Everybody says it sucks, but I'm telling you, it's good. No, everybody says it's awesome, and it fucking is. I was playing on holy tangent, but I'm going down this road, <laughs> and I'm taking you motherfuckers with me. I was playing okay. on um Saturday. And again, it's been a little bit of a rough weekend, so it was one of those. I did a lot of chores and everything. Okay, now I'm sitting because I I got no fucking choice. And I started playing some other games, and I went, "Fuck, you know, what? I don't feel for this shit. I I need to shoot some things." So I pull up fucking Doom and start playing. Now the way that the campaign is created, which I adore, it's you're going in and it's it's levels essentially you you're gonna go from from point a to point b and unlock a bunch of shit and there's there's stuff hidden everywhere you might find some different things that allow you to unlock you know additional powers all kinds of shit but in the end you can just go in and kill shit if that and it's a demon so you're not doing anything bad if you just need to zone out and do that and most of those chapters aren't all that long. I mean, it depends on how much time you spend looking for everything and trying to unlock everything. And it just happened that the one that I was in was fucking long. Oh, my God. Joe, I don't know if you'll you'll remember, but it was the one where you keep getting skulls to slap in doors to unlock them. So you got to get the blue one and the yellow one. And, yes, and all. it okay. was the throwback to the classic one, yeah. That's a long fucking chapter. Like, I was playing for hours. That's not an exaggeration. Like, there were breaks. I'm going to pause it and go for a piss or go grab a drink or do something. But I I couldn't stop. It was... That was an Acropolis. That fucking good that I could not stop. I kept having to go in and, and, and just try to keep going until I got to the end of the chapter. And, of course, I did. Just again, if if <laughs> between Forza and that, if that doesn't get you in the Game Pass, fuck, I don't know what will. Oh my god! But moving on, uh, we also got some more, quite a bit more actually, in terms of the the trailer and and some reveal stuff on Just Cause Four, which fucking looks awesome. Like there's some really for for fans of the IP, they highlighted with this as opposed to the last one. 
a lot more of the story and less of the gimmicks of riding tornadoes. Yeah, that's still in there, but it was a lot more story stuff that I saw, which again is what's going to, I feel, get people into the the story. Because this is another one like Kingdom Hearts where some people are going to be like, is this a good place where I could jump in kind of thing? And it certainly looks like it would be. It's the the counterpoint to what you were saying with Crackdown 3. Whereas very much Just Cause 3, the mayhem was yeah, essentially the point of the game. And the air quote story was just there to unlock cool new weapons. So yeah, it, it seems like they're making a more concerted effort this time around to make you give a crap. And then they moved on to Devil May Cry as well with some new stuff. Now, one of you should take this because you care a lot more about this IP than I do. Go for it, Vince. I've talked a lot today. I I actually didn't read up too much on Devil May Cry. I know that they were adding in, what's it called? The uh, the Void for uh, like a practice mode, which is actually great because for a game that scores you on how well you're able to pull off combos, it's nice to have a place outside of the mission structure to actually learn them. It's well, it's the same thing that, uh, that why can't I think of the name of it now? Uh, Bayonetta does. Like in between levels... Uh, and mm-hmm. there's even a practice zone where like Bayonetta you can go into and it's like this void area and you can spawn creatures and things like that. That's great. Um, and you can just practice your combos and everything else like that. And, well, not just practice combos, but try out new things. Mm-hmm. Like, because the, one of the main uh, gameplay hooks is Nero's robotic arm that has a number of various effects depending on what ammunition you have equipped. But <laughs> that man. Yeah. But since that ammunition is limited in the game, you might not be as willing to experiment with it as you would in the void mode. So it's very smart all around. They also talked about Minecraft. It's Minecraft. And then they talked about, and this was the announcement that I went, mutant fucking year zero is going to be coming to the game pass. So like we quite literally, yeah, they literally just fucking, we talked about it a few weeks ago. And again, I am really looking forward to this. So the fact that I'm not going to have to shell 50 bucks or, or significantly more, because I actually was ready to plop down the regular 80 bucks for this. As soon as it came out, I'm, I'm really that excited for this. So this was this was just fantastic here. I, I cannot fucking wait. And it's coming out in December. Jesus, that's awesome. As if we didn't have enough to play. <sighs> yeah. See, again, I'm bouncing around a little bit, so I'm not exactly hitting everything as it came up in the show. But by this point as well, they had talked about how both of the Ori's, Ori in the Blind Forest and the upcoming Ori and uh, Will of the Wisps, are going to be on Game Pass. Um so again, fantastic games and the Will of the Wisps is not even out. It's gonna be coming out day one. And then Thief of Thieves, which is based on the Kirkman comic, is actually available now and on the, the Game Pass and season one. Now that's something that I will talk on briefly, very briefly, because I saw it in this this presser and then I thought, oh, okay, and then I, I happen now I'm checking that fucking Game Pass store 
all the time because you never know when something's going to pop up. And sure enough, there's Thief of Thieves. And I was going, holy fuck, I didn't think it was out already. And so I installed it and I started playing it. Now, I will say, however, and luckily, again, this is fine because it was part of the Game Pass. Uh, the, the comic book came out while we were still doing Comic Book Informer. Because I remember reading a few issues at that time. I remember us not being fans. Yeah, we weren't thrilled with it. And the game does nothing to improve that, sadly. The I would be on board with the concept because it's a, you're working with thieves, clearly. And the art style is very much, it's a, you're playing a comic book. And I kind of dig the beginning where it's showing you how to navigate as it's doing the opening intro, which was really slick, actually. I dug it. The problem is that the game controls... I don't want to say, and this is going to be a, a this is, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's insulting to the devs, but I'm just going to say it's not that the game mechanics are simple because simple can still be elegant and good. They're rudimentary. They're, they're, they're really, they're, they're not good is what I'm getting at. They're really not good. And the camera angles, even though you can, they give you one way that you can change the camera angle, which makes no sense to the story, and also is not all that much better either, let's be honest. And unfortunately, I don't know that the story will be strong enough to justify me having to slog through with horrible gameplay and camera angles. So I, I don't know how much more I'll put into the game, sadly. So a very short review of that game, but <laughs> not fucking thrilled with it, I got to say. Now, they also talked about how Tomb Raider Shadow of the Tomb Raider is going to be coming out on the, um, the Game Pass as well. They talked about the Forge trailer, which is for the, the, the DLC that's going to be coming out. Looked awesome for anybody who's a fan of the game. I have not yet finished Shadow of the Tomb Raider. I started it, but I have not finished it because I actually own it on the PS4. And it's one of those games that I need to go in and finish. But I'm a huge fan of the Tomb Raider, the reboot of the Tomb Raider series. So I'm all on board for this. So I'm, I'm happy that other people will get to, to experience it anew as well. And then they talked how they're finally bringing the uh, mouse and keyboard control to the uh, Xbox One, which is fantastic. <laughs> Sadly, my desk has no fucking room on it for <laughs> another because i've got two as it is for the mac and the pc i don't have room for another one but there's actually a number of games that are going to be making use of i think it was what 13 or 14 a lot of games making use of it so that that'll be awesome and i do like how some of the games are making certain as well to check what kind of control you're using to match you up against those plays so if you're first person shooter playing a first person shooter hopefully you'll be going up against the people that are using the same control scheme as what you're using. Which they, is really funny to me because like a lot of people are like, oh, keyboard and mouse to get into them an unfair advantage when like a lot of the games with controllers give you an aim assist. And it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe. I, I like, I like what they're doing though with the attempting to match you with people using similar control schemes. Well, that's the thing because not all of them are going to necessarily use that aim assist. And I think, right. I think that it's actually, 
Let's be honest. I I think that is is the simplest solution for devs because they don't have to constantly tweak that aim assist or anything to compensate for keyboard and mouse versus controller because that would be annoying as fuck all the time. Not because of trying to match it, but because of dealing with your community. Uh, Moving on from there, we also got very, very briefly... I can't remember the fucking name that that hell drinking game. What's that called again? Either you remember after party. Is that what it is? After life? Sounds about right. Yeah, they barely touched on it, which is too bad because that's actually one of the ones (laughs) coming out that looks awesome too and a lot of fun. They touched on Sable a little bit, which is another one that has that comic book style that we all talked about when it was first announced. Was it a PAX or an E3? I can't remember now. But it was one of those games that we went, yeah, this looks fucking awesome. It's another one that Marty latched onto when he was watching this too and saying that, yeah, this looks incredible. And they didn't show a ton more, but what they showed was enough for me to go, yeah, I this is one of those games that I can't wait to play as well. And then they, they only mentioned Ooblets. So they didn't even talk about it. They showed a little bit on Tunic. Not too much. Same thing with uh, Winter of Arcades. They didn't really list any of the arcade games that are going to be coming out. So it's kind of one of those, well, you'll see when it comes out. And then they talked about the Forza Horizon 4 expansion, which you guys probably didn't give a rat's ass about. Oh, I liked. (laughs) (laughs) I was excited about that shit, let me tell you, because that fucking island looks cool as fuck. Like, I am still playing that game. Not as much, but that's because I've been playing Doom and some other games. But that's not going away. I am still in love with that game. Um, going back to the Game Pass, by this point, they'd also talked about um, the Kingdom game, which I kind of went, eh, okay, we'll see when it comes out. After Charge, which looks awesome, but again, it's going to be one of those, okay, well, I'll see when it comes out. I'll have to try it and see if it's something that I can... I, I, I like um, the supermarket shriek. I really didn't care all that much. The pathological two, however, was interesting because it presents this really fun suspense horror kind of suspense thriller game, which I adore. And I didn't play pathological one. I never even fucking heard about it. So for me, this came out of left field and I really liked what I saw. And then there was a spinoff to the, um, what is it, Hello Neighbor? I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, Hello Neighbor, I think. Um, and this one is Secret Neighbor. So I actually, the, the other neighbor game is out on X-Pass right now. I saw it there and I went, oh, we'll install it. So I haven't played yeah. it yet, but I will be playing it because oh, it does look Oh, like I awesome. can't wait. And then I they, can't wait for you to, to play that game. I need I need to know when you're playing it because i just want to watch the tweets okay have you actually played it hello neighbor yes i have and i think it's friggin' fantastic okay oh i'm looking forward to it then okay but i i I love creepy fucking games oh well you already know where i stand on that they also talked about the good life which i have no fucking clue about um agents mayhem which is an older game but we were on board with it before i don't know if any of you actually tried it i never did no, the game came out and it was pretty much immediately forgotten about. Exactly. Yeah, there were too many. So it's one of those. OK, well, I'll, I'll try it out because once again, free. And then a motocross game, meh, whatever. And Thomas was alone, which 
yeah, it's a fantastic game, but it's a it's an old game. Like really, there there was not much point putting this in in inside Xbox 2018. Thomas was alone. Not so much a selling point for the game pass, but it'll be there for anybody who wants to try it. And then, of course, the big announcements were also of the acquisitions of both Obsidian as well as In Exile. So you're looking at the developers of games such as The Old Republic 2, Fallout New Vegas, Pillars of Eternity, as well as Wasteland 2 and Torment, uh, Tides of Numerera. So, like, these, this is, these are good acquisitions, especially because, and, and here's where we hope what they're saying is true, they want to let them do their shit. Like, they own them, but you do your shit, and then we'll just publish it when it comes out kind of thing. Which, going back to this Game Pass, I'm like, that's awesome. That means those games will show up on the Game Pass, and I'll be able to play them whenever the fuck I want. So, the more acquisitions that they do, I'm, all right, I'm on board. Let's let's see what you can do with this. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. I, I know a lot of people were surprised, but I was actually couple days before the announcement i was just reading about uh, obsidian specifically i don't know about in exile and how critically acclaimed their games were while having virtually no commercial success uh pillars of eternity 2 sold minimally i, I think at last like reports it was 110,000 copies which was a severe disappointment to their investors so People are like, oh, it's it, it, Obsidian would have been so much better if they'd been on their own. I, I don't think Obsidian would have been in business if Microsoft hadn't come in and purchased them. Yeah, possibly. So if if they can take those games that are admittedly very well made and put a Microsoft marketing budget behind them, I, it's only going to be a recipe for success, I imagine. Well, again, it's going to be one of those things where, much like Hellblade, they're going to acquire them. And then it'll be part of the Game Pass and people like myself. Well, I mean, I'm more willing to try a lot of different games because of the podcast kind of thing. But a lot of other people, too, will be like, meh, I'll give it a shot. It's not costing me anything. Well, it is, but it's all part of the same cost. So it's like, what the fuck? So all of these people that otherwise would not have tried a pill of Pillars of, of Eternity when it does eventually come to the Game Pass, which clearly it will will be far more likely to pick it up and give it a shot. So, like, this is good for those studios. And that was pretty much it. Did I miss anything? I think that was you, pretty much it. You covered things I didn't even know were on the con. The con yeah, I was going to say, like, you got stuff I didn't even know was in there, so good job. All right, so let's move on from there. We really don't have a lot much to touch on <laughs> but joe had found something a couple of weeks back and and i did want to bring it as soon as we'd have time to to the podcast and ironically since then i've been watching the fuck out of arlo on youtube it's you know <laughs> i love that that youtube I, and I the inter you yeah i love that you can latch onto something at some point and be like have you guys seen this? And it's been around for years and everybody else is in on it. And you're like, okay, well, I just found this out and it's fucking awesome. And the Arlo channel on YouTube is one of those for me now. I I adore this guy. I think he's fucking awesome. And I, I love that it's a fucking Muppet as well. It works beautifully. But anyways, it all boils down to, again, I really, the, whoever is behind the voice behind that Muppet, 
I like him. He's very good. He's intelligent. And while I may not agree with everything he says, there's a lot of work put into those videos, and I appreciate the opinion put forth. And and a lot of them I still do agree with. And he's been doing a lot on Breath of the Wild as well. He's got a, a series that he's been putting out on the various aspects of the game, which speaks to not just how impactful that game was, but just how much there was to it. And one of the interesting videos about it was where he was talking about Zelda in general and and his wish for how Nintendo handled Zelda and in terms of of the the um the speed with which the regularity with which they put out Zelda games and the brilliant idea that he had was using the same engine for two games instead of mm-hmm. always scrapping it on one. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of that because he did it, and he did it far better than I could just even just recapping it. So just look for Arlo on YouTube and look for the video that is uh, on Zelda and, and whatnot because the, the, the brilliant thing that he points out is Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, which used the same game engine mm-hmm. and produced two phenomenal fucking games so when you're looking at breath of the wild and the insane amount of world building that they did with that game to use that same world the same engines and everything to make another breath of the wild i'm on board in fact i encourage it i would love to see it so the hint of even of even just DLC is enough to kind of have me salivating. Well, and and I think that's that's it too. Is right. Like we've talked about this before, where it's a very Eastern philosophy that every time you make a game and you make a new game, even if it's the next one in the series, you make an entire game engine from the ground up. And that's one of the things that Western gaming has really done well. Is no, fuck it. This game engine works. Let's just keep using it and make cooler shit with, you know, more interesting stories or characters or more interesting gameplay. And now that they've established Breath of the Wild, which is already, which when it was being released was pushed back a lot uh, to make sure that it would be released for the Switch and, and make sure that it was done and done right. You have this beautiful engine. Absolutely, I want to see them use it for more stuff. Yeah, and the way that the game ends, and this is not even the spoiler territory. If anybody complains about it, fight me, fight me in real life. Uh, the way the game ends, it's wide open for more, not only just within that world, but like they've laid the groundwork for a whole new like timeline. Essentially, like they could do whatever the fuck they want. And which is interesting that we talk about that because recently at the earnings call that Nintendo had, they even mentioned that they need to lean on their big brands, right? And that they're starting to actually talk about things like DLC, like expansions. And Breath of the Wild was specifically called out because of how popular and how good it sold. And the simple fact that, like, even if you buy a Switch now, it's one of the games that you are likely to buy. There are three games that you will likely buy with it, and it's Mario Odyssey, Breath of the Wild or Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, whatever it's called. And Splatoon, dude, they were talking about, too. And Splatoon. To a um, lesser degree, clearly, but still, that sucker's making them a lot of fucking money. 
Oh, it absolutely is. But the thing is, like, the average person who buys a Switch will buy two out of four of those games. I and bought two out of those four. You did. You absolutely did. You fit that perfectly. But Breath of the Wild is one of those ones where, like, it's it's far and away, like, it's pretty high as far as, like, sales go, even now. So we got that hint that there there might be more DLC coming for it while they continue to work on the next game, which we know they're already doing because they made mention of that months and months and months ago. So, yes, use this engine. Keep pumping out quality Zelda games. You have this beautiful world to explore. More. Give me more. More, 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 more. Vince, you've, have you actually started it since picking it up? Uh, a little bit here and there. Um, I've made it to the first of the, the great beasts in Zelda. It's, it's more of a thing. I'm now that I'm getting into my overtime period at work, I know there's going to be plenty of nights where, okay, dinner's done. I'm just going to go lay in bed and play the switch. (laughs) So, uh, I'm sure I'll be playing it a lot more over the next few weeks. It was funny because it's, um, I've played a, a number of Zelda games over the years, um, but it wasn't until I watched that video that he, he was talking about how simple and how cost-effective and yet still um, impactful having two Zeldas using the same game engine would be because you're still looking at a development time of two to three years between games, but not five or six years kind of thing. And so it it, it works. And when you're looking at Breath of the Wild, it's not just what you can do with the story because of how it ended, but because the game engine exists and the assets exist and everything as well, they can do any number of flashbacks as well. So you can have an entire fucking game that is a flashback that is actually showing you the battle that led to him being mortally wounded. You know, you could do any number of things in that time period as well. Or you could do the battle from 10,000 years ago. Yeah, like there are so many things that they could do with that world. So... I, I I completely agree. Like I I think it's a waste of the game engine to not make use of it at least one more time. And with fans being this ravenous for more content and for so many people, that 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 meeting where they were talking numbers in that video, they were talking eighteen million Switch units souls, like please give us another fucking Zelda. Like I spent hundreds of hours. I'll spend hundreds more in a breath of the wild too. And with that, we are actually going to call it a wrap. So thank you very much for joining us. You can find the show notes at forthelore.com. You can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher and on uh, Twitter at for the lore. Individually, Joe is loaders at J Vince is Simonian. Marty, who's not here is officer Gleason motherfucker would like to have us believe he was out busy, but we know he's playing Solaris, but I digress. We will talk to you guys next week. Take care. Well, I nearly about starved to death down in Memphis. I run out of money and luck. So I bought me a ride down to Macon, Georgia on an overloaded poultry truck. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. 
And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.